Well, our look may have changed over the years, but the words and the sentiment have always stayed the same. Good morning, America. For those of you born in the 90s, you may not know much about Joan. So let me give you a quick overview of this incredible lady. For more than 40 years, Joan has been a trusted voice in American homes. She was the co-host of ABC's Good Morning America and is an award-winning journalist, best-selling author, television host, and motivational speaker. She reported from 26 countries, covered five presidential inaugurations, five Olympic games, and three royal weddings, as well as a myriad of other newsworthy adventures. Joan is known for her willingness to take risks in her role as a TV host and has shown ambition and grit throughout her entire career and beyond as both a cancer survivor and the mother of seven children. Tell me, what are the roots of why you wanted to become a journalist of some kind? A friend of the family who happened to be a ad salesman at the local NBC affiliate in Sacramento, where I lived, he came to dinner at our house and he said, you really ought to consider television news. This at this point was 1972. I said, you hardly see any women. Like, what do you, what is that? And he said, well, he said, there haven't been very many women on the air, but the women's movement has really gained ground and they have got pressure against the FCC so the FCC is pressuring all the local stations to put more women on the air. You should call our news director. You know, you're a smart gal. You've traveled all over the world. The next morning after that little suggestion was made at the dinner table, which I could have easily kind of just let go, I got up the next morning and called the station and said to the news director, I was recommended by an ad salesman there that I should call you. I'd like to come in and have an interview. And he gave me a slot. So now here I am. I find myself in this interview with this news director and I'm asking him all these questions. You know, what's this going to mean now that they're putting pressure to, for you guys to put women on the air? What's the future of broadcasting? After about five minutes, he said, well, clearly, you know how to write an interview. And he said, I'm going to audition you. And he took me into the studio and he auditioned me. And I remember he came out, he was so nice. And he said, I really think you might have kind of the it factor, but I just was curious to see what you were like, but we don't have any jobs. However, the weatherman of the station was back behind the set getting all the weather maps ready for that day's noon broadcast. And he followed me out the door as I went out to the parking lot. And he said, some stations around the country are putting on weather girls. And I'd like to make you Sacramento's first weather girl. And I'm going to be totally honest with you. That didn't sound remotely interesting. I mean, the weather? I didn't know a cumulus cloud from a cirrus cloud. I, I didn't know anything. But thank God somehow I knew an opportunity when I heard it. So I said yes, and I started working for him as an intern. I was still in school. And I had to be there at 5 in the morning because he did all the drive time radio in the morning. And I was ripping and reading all the wire copy and learning about the weather Finally, one day he said to the executives, I'd like to put her on the air. And they all said, I don't know, we're not really ready for a, a female weather caster. So the next day he called in sick 
At the start of her career, Joan had to take every opportunity to advance her career. The women's movement of the 1960s had opened doors for women to enter the workplace, but many industries were slow to adapt. Joan worked her way up from reporting the weather to being a consumer reporter, sharing recalls and price changes on consumer goods, to finally getting her big break as the anchor and producer of the noon news. By that time, my life motto had become, whenever anyone asks you to do something, just say yes, and then go figure out how to do it. And, and that's how it kind of happened. I said yes, and I just kind of, as my mother would have said, I walked in where angels feared to tread. I just figured it out and did it, you know? And I mean, I went on the air and I mean, six months earlier, I seriously didn't know a cumulus cloud from a cirrus cloud, but I applied myself. I was eager to learn, but I was not being welcomed. And then like, who's this female that kind of walked in off the street? And I was that female, but there weren't women taking journalism back in those days. You know, it was a completely different time. So I kind of just got my foot in the door and kept proving myself and proving myself until finally, when I started anchoring and started making a difference in the ratings, the CBS station across town hired one of those, I'll just say news fixers. You know, there are these companies that come in and they'll tell a station, I think your weatherman should be the anchorman. I think they should all wear peach or whatever silly thing they say. And they had hired this company to figure out how to beat us. And the answer they gave them was, I think we need to find that new blonde over there on that NBC affiliate, a nice anchor job in another city. So they started sending my videotape all over the country. It was like having an agent that you didn't have to pay for. And I started getting these offers. So again, I went back to that salesman and he said, the head of sales here went to New York. Let's call him because he's now at the network and he'll tell you what to make of all these different offers. And I called him and he said, if you're getting all those offers, we'd like to bring you right here to WABC TV in New York, our flagship ABC station. And two weeks later, I sold my house and packed up all my things. And once again, they asked. So I said, yes, it was hard, tough. Again, not a welcoming atmosphere at all. The writers used to write copy for me trying to trip me up on the Sunday evening news, which I was anchoring. The sailing ship streamed into the South Street seaport this Sunday morning. Like they would write me copy and I'd come back upstairs in the newsroom and they'd say, hey, I'll be damned, you made it through that. In 1976, Joan joined Good Morning America and began co-hosting the show with Charlie Gibson. Her popularity grew and she was able to land key interviews with U.S. presidents, cover the Olympic Games, and even attend a number of royal weddings. Despite the excitement of sharing the world's most important events with millions of viewers, the job was rigorous, demanding a 3.30 a.m. wake-up call five days a week. What was the hardest part about doing Good Morning America? You know, and I could say getting up so early, or I could say interviewing tough politicians who could you know, be pretty testy sometimes, or 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 um, 
rock stars who sometimes were stoned and couldn't answer you, but I truly would answer having a positive, energetic, happy attitude every morning, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. when you turned our channel on. That was the challenge. No matter what was going on in your life, no matter how tired you were, how lousy you felt, how bad your teenager might have treated you the night before when you told her she couldn't go to that party, you had to leave it in the dressing room. And right before I would leave my dressing room, the last thing I would do, I would sometimes, by the way, get down and just do a few sit-ups just to make sure that my stomach muscles were kind of tight so that I'd sit up because you don't want to slouch. But the last thing I would do is I would look in the mirror and I would smile because your attitude, your enthusiasm for life, that energy, that spirit, that's what affects you sitting at home in front of that television when we come on, even before we deliver the news to you. It's called opening night electricity. Yes, but we had to create it every morning. Every day. At 7 a.m. Pretty amazing. Joan was used to the danger and intrigue of covering her military assignments, but transforming into a Las Vegas showgirl was a whole new challenge. It required a month of training and overcoming her crippling stage fright. Tonight on this stage, I will attempt the scariest thing I've ever done. Join me as I go behind closed doors to perform as a Las Vegas showgirl. I had a trainer that I was working with and she said, do you have any idea what you just got yourself into? We trained for a month. And still, when I got on that stage with the woman in charge of the showgirls, she said, you know that thing that we all have when we're little kids and we're in the pool or we're doing a little dance for our family and we're saying, mom, mom, look at me, look at me. Hey, everybody, look at me. We lose that when we become an adult. But when you're out on this stage as a ballet showgirl dancer, you need to have that. You need to say with your movements to the guy in the back row, look at me. And it was so terrifying. And I trained there with her for a week, but we were on a stage that they brought us up. And, you know, the stage opens up and this other part of the stage comes up and all of a sudden you're up there with the bright lights and with three dozen women with legs that are like five feet of them are legs. And they don't have a whole lot on up top except a bunch of jewels. And I was dressed in a little outfit, skimpy, and had 15 pounds of jewelry on my arms and my hair headpiece. Man, that was the scariest thing I've ever done. Following her decades-long news career, Joan had to tackle her biggest fear yet, public speaking. I just had this fear of public speaking. And every time somebody would ask me, and of course they'd always say, we'd like to give you the spirit of whatever award, which is the way they would get you there, but then you had to do a speech. And at one point someone said to me, how can you be afraid of public speaking in front of, you know, maybe two, three, four, five hundred people when tens of millions of people see you every day? And I said, yeah, but I don't see any of them. 
I just see the camera and my floor director. So when I left Good Morning America, I decided I had to get over my fear of public speaking. I really did. I just wasn't going to let that hold me down. And I got a call from Tony Robbins, the biggest impetus to do that. And he asked me to go on tour with him. So I said yes. And for the next two years, I did two to three speeches a month with Tony. And Tony like fills a stadium full of 23,000 people. And you look at somebody 20 and go, I own you. No, I own you. No, I own you. I count to three. Let's clap together on three. Go crazy. One. One. And I remember the first couple of times walking out on that stage, it was almost like surreal. Like I, I, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. And he said from the beginning, I want you to do one other thing. I want you to, I always have one of my speakers throughout the day do the breakfast and another one do the lunch. And so people can sign up, but they can also sign up extra, pay extra and come and do breakfast. And I want you to do that breakfast. And it's not that you have to do another speech. You just have to be there and be open to questions. So I would always go to these breakfasts. And that's probably what got me over the fear, just as much as getting over the fear up on the stage is that because I learned to just answer anyone's question and just talk with them and be comfortable with that. And up on stage, Tony went from me standing in front of a podium with my teleprompter and talking into the, you know, the the microphone on the podium. He said, all right, today I'm going to put one of these things on you. It's going to go over your head. And you're going to have your microphone right there. And I've put your script on all of the uh, monitors around the stage. So you don't have to stay behind the podium. So he got me out from behind the podium and got me a little more comfortable with walking around. And then one day I went in and I said, I have something to say today. He said, good, go do it. I walked out on stage and I started talking my assistant, who was back with the guy who runs teleprompter, is saying, what the hell is she doing? She's not on script. And that was the day that I realized that I could go out and have a conversation with an audience for, you know, 45 minutes and make a difference and make an impact and say something. And it didn't have to be written down in front of me. And so I can tell you that I went, I'm a walking example of someone who had a total fear that transformed that into a huge career because I probably make as much money now doing speeches as I make doing anything else in my career. In 2014, Joan was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, never one to back down from a challenge. She was able to overcome cancer and is currently an active spokesperson for patient care and advocate for a number of philanthropic groups. I was diagnosed just a little over a year ago with stage two triple negative breast cancer. And I must tell you that by going public with my breast cancer diagnosis and journey, um, by sharing it, I have heard from women all over this country. And I have learned that I'm not alone. It's funny because everywhere I go, people always say, are you enjoying retirement? My husband usually nudges me and just says, just say yes. But that's because they don't see me on a daily show every day. 
Yes, I have a TV show on PBS. It's called A Second Opinion with Joan London. I'm about to begin anchoring Mediflix News on a new streaming service about healthcare called Mediflix. I have a, a podcast with the Washington Post and the Cleveland Clinic called Caring for Tomorrow, all about the future of healthcare. Right before the pandemic hit, that year before, I had done 40 speeches in a year. And you know what that means. That means that there were weeks where I was in three different cities giving speeches within one week period. Oh, and last year, I also was an adjunct professor at Lehigh University. Once again, they tapped me and said, you've been helping us with our new college of uh, health because my husband's an alum, so I'd go to a bunch of things there. Would you ever consider teaching a class? And I said, oh, God, that's on my bucket list. So I said yes, and I taught population health and the media. And I got to tell you, that classroom of 45, 19-year-olds is the toughest audience I've ever had. (laughs) Joan, to me, exemplifies a woman who embodies ambition and grit. From overcoming challenges earlier in her career and always saying yes to every opportunity, to writing 10 books and overcoming her fear of public speaking. Recently, I had a chance to read her New York Times bestseller, Why Did I Come Into This Room? A candid conversation about aging. And I really enjoyed its depth and humor. And I thank you very much. This has been a very rare and privileged seat from which to view this world and be where history is being made. And it's more than anyone could ever hope for in a lifetime to have had this 20 years. Good job. Thanks so much for tuning into today's show. To follow along with Joan's latest adventures, please visit her website at joanlondon.com. Until next time, remember that everything in life worth having takes a little ambition and grit.